Well, we welcome you. Thank you so much again for being here tonight. And uh, we are going to uh, wrap up the series that uh, Pastor Dick Foth has been bringing to us such wonderful, wonderful uh, insight into relationships that that work and last. I've been so grateful and written lots and lots of notes. I'm so thankful for this series. We're going to wrap that up tonight. And then uh, next week, we're going to kick off a new series called Inviting God. And I would just invite you to come to our series, Inviting God. We're going to talk about this amazing, incredible God of the universe who actually invites you and me to know him deeply and intimately and to truly walk with him in relationship. And so uh, I'm looking forward to kicking that off next week. Hope that you can come. Ushers, come at this time, will you? We're going to receive our offering. Thank you for your faithfulness in giving. Uh, We appreciate that so much. You can go ahead and pass those plates when you're ready. Pastor Dick, come and uh, bring us to home base, man. Give Pastor Dick another warm welcome and a thank you for this series, will you? Now you can hear me. See, it had nothing to do with them, had everything to do with me. Life is all about me. I just wanted you to know that. Anybody remember in the four bases with which you build relationships, what first base is? History giving. You cannot know somebody over time effectively if you don't know their history doesn't mean that you know all of their history because I can't remember bunches of my own history but history giving is biblical and a whole bunch of other things that we've already said the Bible is a history book we get to know God because he chooses to share his history with us anybody remember what second base I think this is in your notes so if you don't remember you can just look at your notes Affirmation, $4 word that means I like you. When I learn your history, I start learning how to love you. Here's a phrase that we use a lot when we talk in marriage seminars, but it works for any relationship. How can I love you the way you need to be loved how can I love you the way you need to be loved and I use as an example of that Jesus loving us the way we need to be loved you know he, John 3:16 is a good example of that it reads in my version in both version it reads for God so loved Richard Foth that he accurately estimated that he was a creep and needed a redeemer so he he loved me in a way that I could respond to him so I can live with him forever how can I love you in the way you need to be loved third base is what covenant 
home plate or first base gives me a basis for relationship. Affirmation and covenant give me the nurturing component of relationship. And tonight we're going to home plate. So we're coming from first to second to third, and we're ripping around home plate or third base and heading for home. Home plate is dreaming. Home plate is dreaming. Listen to how Philippians, the first chapter, the ninth through eleven verses read. The other three weeks I've read all eleven verses. Let me just read the last three. And this is my prayer. Let's just substitute dream for prayer, because in this case it's the same thing. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I have at my house, and I intended to bring it tonight, and I forgot, a green thin folder that when you open it is written in Russian. It's a visa obtained in the fall of, or in the spring of 1900 by my grandmother who went with her father when she was seven years old from the little village of Stahl, Russia to the county seat, what we would call the county seat of the provincial capital, a place called Saratov. It's up on the Volga River in Russia. My grandmother was German, but she lived in Russia. Many of the people who settled this area in Fort Collins 100 to 150 years ago were called Volga Deutsch. They came from that same area of Russia. They came here to raise sheep and farm sugar beets. And um, that, that was a visa that allowed her to come to the United States. But it was more than that. When she held that green uh, little book in her hand, it was a dream. America was the place of opportunity. America was the place of democratic ideals. America was the place where whether you were poor or rich, you had a chance. So in those little pages of paper sat a dream for her. Now, dreams are prevalent in Scripture. In the Old Testament, you have Joseph who had a dream, you had Samuel who had a dream, you had Daniel who had a dream, and numbers of these dreams were kind of informational. This is what's going to happen. They were also inspirational. In the New Testament, you have Joseph and Mary who have a dream. You have Peter's vision when he sees the, uh, the sheet let down and says this gospel is not just for the Jews but also for the Gentiles. So dreaming is replete throughout both the Old and the New Testament. But dreams are about aspirations and hopes. And um, I was on a plane. Thank you. I was on a plane some years ago in an area that, that had been uh, over
overseen by a totalitarian dictator. And as we were flying out of this airport, I was sitting next to a young man who was going back to his home in Texas. And I said, are you from here? And he said, yes. I said, but you're living in Texas. He said, yes. I said, why are you living in Texas? He said, because I'm from the wrong group in this particular place. And so I couldn't open a business. And now I have an electrical company in Dallas, Texas. And I said, what did it feel like that you couldn't open a business here? And he said, they took away my hope. They took away my capacity to dream. Now, they couldn't break his dream, but they, but they took away the opportunity. Dreaming is part of life. Dreaming together is a powerful part of life. It's one thing for me to kind of look out in the future and say, I'd like to do this or I'd like to go there or I'd like to be that. It's quite another thing to share that with someone else. If history giving is the basis for relationship, affirmation and covenant nurture relationship, but dreams give relationship a future. Let me say it again. If history is the basis for relationship, if affirmation and covenant nurture relationship, dreams give relationship a future. Let's just play a little game here just for a moment. If you could go anywhere in the world for two or three days, and just by thinking it, you'd be there, where would you go? You can just write it down on the paper. that you, Some of you are taking notes. You can just write it. If you could go anywhere in the world for two or three days, and you don't have to worry about the money or housing or anything like that. If you could just go anywhere in the world, where would you go? Where would your dream take you? Some of you might not go out of Colorado because you say, it's just it's good here. Why would I want to leave? You know. Some years ago, Ruth and I were at a youth conference and they were doing this, playing this little game. It said, if you could build a dream house anywhere, where would you build it? I had just come back from doing a series of retreats in Montana. And I said, uh, why don't we build a house in the Gallatin Valley of Southwest Montana? Anybody know where Gallatin Valley of Southwest Montana? They got those two rivers, the east and the west Gallatin. I think. And the, somebody told me up there, it was probably Montanans talking. And if you're listening or watching this, Montanans, forgive me. But I, I think they checked it. It was like 2,000 trout per mile or some unbelievable number, you know. But I said, we'll just build a, we'll build a house there that looks over the rivers, and you've got those three mountain ranges. You've got the Spanish Peaks and the Tobacco and the, and the Bridger Range or whatever it is. And, and um, I'd have a place where I could write, and Ruth would have a place where she could quilt. And, and, and Ruth said, well, what about the schools? And I said, oh, they have the fine, finest international schools in the world, just a pony ride from the house. Because when you're dreaming, it doesn't have to, like, be real. Because it's a dream. But what happens when you start speaking the dream? Here is Jesus who comes. And he lives for 33 years. And then for three years he goes public in that 33, the last three. And he chooses 12 people, essentially from the same county. 
he says, I have this dream. And the dream is to reconcile the whole world to the Father. And within that dream, there's a sub-dream. And you can read this in John 17, where he says, I've completed the task you gave me, that these that you gave me would be one. His dream was that they would be of one heart and one mind. And when you read Paul in Philippians 2, he's saying the same thing. This is my dream for you, that you would have one heart, thinking not of others or not of yourself higher than others. That theme comes all the way through Paul's writing. I was um, at a conference in uh, Japan some years ago, and a young and a, and a Japanese man older than I, he and I were leading small groups. Now, in Japan, you don't think of people necessarily in small groups because the culture is pretty reserved. But it was amazing what happened when you start talking about history in these small groups. And all of a sudden, folks start opening up. And then you, you start affirming people on the basis of what you learn over here. And um, when we got to the dreaming part, we said, now our young friend over there, and there were about six groups of, or eight groups of six in this room, said, my young friend over there who has that big bag, in there he has millions of U.S. dollars. Now, that's imaginary, but he said, right over there. And we're going to go around the room, and we're going to give each of you a million dollars. And the only catch is that you have to spend it in the next five minutes. And there were several people in the room who had millions of dollars, but they were hanging on to them. This they were going to spend in the next five minutes. And... Um, one of the folks in our group was a very lovely Japanese woman who, when it came time to share what she was going to give her million dollars for, what she was going to get with this, this is her dream. She said, I will give $750,000 to my starving artist's son. And he said, what are you going to do with the other 250000 she said, I'm going to buy the fastest sports car you can buy. You never know until you ask what somebody's dream is. You just don't know. But when you, when you look at Paul and you listen to him, he's saying, this is my dream for you, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge, that you get to know that person in a way that you love them well, in knowledge and depth of insight. Those of you who have children, you know that if you have several children, sometimes you get in bed at night and it's been a long day with the kids just bouncing off the walls and, and you wonder whether they came from the same gene pool because they're so different. How many know that's true? That's just, you know, and this one you have to love this way and that one you have to love that way and this one you... Because in, in order to love them the same, you love them differently. That sounds weird for me to say it, but it's true. And Paul says that, that your knowledge will grow in depth of insight so you may be able to discern what is best and be pure and blameless till the day of Christ. His dream is that in this process, and these are my words overlaid on, on this text, that in this process... 
these people will become pure because they have loved each other well. That they'll make better choices because they've loved each other well. How many times you hear somebody said, I was, say, I was heading down this road and this person befriended me. And because of his friendship or her friendship, I didn't keep going that way, but I moved this way. That I started making better choices because I was loved well. Because this person took the time to understand me and stay with me. You've heard me speak of Ruth's father several times. And around the time of his memorial service, there was an architect in his town who came and said, Roy Blakely was an elephant. He would come and he would stand beside you. And then he'd just start leaning very gently. And you were going this way, and pretty soon you were going that way. It's just, that's how it worked. When you build relationships with each other, when we start loving each other better, and we speak into each other's lives, and we start learning history and affirming and covenanting, then when it comes to dreaming, we can participate in a way that is authentic and real. I... um, I firmly believe that when you share your dream about life with someone, that something happens that happens no other way. You see, if I can trust you with my history, maybe I can trust you with my now. And if I trust you with my now, maybe I can trust you with my tomorrow, with my dream. I, um, I was in a small group the college where we were one day we just had a whole bunch of small groups and we had students in the groups and we were just sharing our thoughts together and we did a lot of this right here and then we went around the circle and we said so what's your dream and one person said this and one person said that another person said this and um i said you know when i go around and talk once in a while people say you know have you written that down Is there something, like you have a book or anything? And kind of cynically, I said, what we need on the market is one more Christian book. And But they said, well, you need to to think about that. And I said, okay, well, we'll think about it. About two weeks later, a sophomore girl who was in that group, a girl by the name of Renee, saw me on campus. And she said, President Foth, how's the book coming? I said, well, we're just thinking, you know. About three weeks later, she saw me on campus say, have anything written on the book? She's calling across the road, you know. Anything written yet on the book? I said, we, we have an idea, Renee. You know. Three or four weeks later, she said, do you have a topic sentence yet? And I'm smiling, and inside I'm saying, get off my back, Renee. So some years later, when, we, when Ruth and I wrote this little book called When the Giant Lies Down, I sent her a copy and say, Dear Renee, you can stop bugging me now. Here's the book. But there is, there's something that happens in accountability when you share your dream with somebody else. There's something that happens when Jesus walked with the disciples and he shared the dream of being close to God the Father. Over time, it started to catch. And when the Holy Spirit shows up, it really catches fire in their lives. Some of you have tried that. You've said to one of your friends, I've got this crazy idea. And they say, oh, tell me. You say, no, it's nuts. I, I can't tell you. Yeah, they say, no, no, go ahead, please tell me. And you tell them and they go, you know. What you need 
is somebody who can say, you know, that is a crazy idea. But I'll trust God with you for that. Whatever it is, I'll trust God with you for that. We have a daughter who loves, has always loved to write, and recently she had a book published. Not, you know, it's not, it hasn't sold 50,000 copies, but it's gaining. And um, it's for young mothers, and this is a crass announcement. It's called All I Need is Jesus and a Good Pair of Jeans. And uh, it's a tired supergirl search for grace. But she was so excited when, when she got the contract, and she was so excited when it actually came out this past January. And when she called us, we were so excited. We may have been more excited than she was because we were with her in the dream. You know how it is, those of you, again, who have children. You, you, you have a child and you dream dreams for them, but when they start dreaming dreams and you buy in and then you see it happen, there's something so powerful and so real. When, when you read Paul's letter to Timothy and Paul's letter to Titus, here is the older person joining in the dream with the younger person. Dreaming together has an accountability to it, not a harsh accountability. It's not like you can ask me any question you want and I'll just tell you what it is. It isn't that kind of accountability as much as it is when somebody buys into your dream. They want you to succeed. They want it to happen. They just do. Sometimes, in the process, we lose our dreams. If I were to go row by row tonight and ask you the question, when you were 16, did you have a dream? And you tell me what that is. How did it go? Some of them will be really worked, and some of us will say, you know, somewhere along the line, it kind of got derailed. When I was president of that little college, every once in a while I'd go into the chapel. And I'd see uh, usually an older couple there. I'd introduce myself and say, hi, I'm Dick Foth. And they'd introduce themselves back. And they'd say, you know, we're graduates of this institution in 1954. And um, life hasn't been as easy as we thought it might have been. And we just, um, we were in the area. We don't live in state. We were in the area, and we just, we just wanted to come back by the school and come to this place because we can remember on a Thursday night in a missions service, sitting in that row right there, that God spoke to our hearts, that there was a dream birthed in us. And it hasn't gone exactly like we thought it would. But we know that it was God who put it in our hearts, and we just wanted to come back and reaffirm the dream. We just wanted to come at it one more time. Fort Collins is populated with people with lost dreams or broken dreams. Colorado, California, because that's kind of the nature of man. But I love that verse in Joel, the second chapter, that says, God will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. As long as we're alive and breathing, He can give us new dreams. He can give us fresh dreams. And sometimes our dreams are crazy. Like, like we're stepping over the edge. We say, well, how in the world could that happen? And my response to that is, I have no idea. 
But God does. God does. Because there's another piece to this. It's not just that you dreams you dream great dreams for you. I would submit to you that God dreams great dreams for you. Listen to this passage in John, the 13th chapter, verses 33 through 14.3. This is on the night before Jesus goes to the cross. He's with his disciples. Judas has just left. He says, my children, I'll be with you only a little longer. You'll look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another as I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? It's like you're a little kid. You say, I'm going to the store, you can't come. And they say, why? Here's Peter. Why can't I follow? And then he ups the ante. And he says, I'll lay down my life for you. Kind of this epic boast. And Jesus, who has history with Peter, Jesus who has affirmed Peter and called him the rock, Jesus who says, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed, I've covenanted with you. He understands the dream, but he's the truth teller. He's covenanted with them. And covenant is based on truth telling. And he turns to Peter and he says, Will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth. Before the rooster crows, you'll disown me three times. And guys like me get up here and say, boy, let's not be like Peter. Shooting off our mouths, not being able to reform. Let's, you know, let's hang in there. Let's not just blow smoke here. It's the editors who put these chapter divisions in here. This is how it reads. Will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you'll disown me three times. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you, Peter. It doesn't say Peter, but he's still talking to Peter. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. And you say, well, how, how could that be? How could, I mean, Peter's going to just bail on him. And Jesus says, and while you're bailing, I'm going to go prepare a place for you, in essence. It's not just that you dream great dreams for you. God dreams great dreams for you. He's the God who dreams great dreams for us. One of the reasons to get close to him is that he dreams great dreams for us. And the closer I get, I start discovering what those dreams might be. So I'm not just going off on my own, but in fact, he's going off and he says, would you like to go with me? I'm going over here and doing some stuff. Would you like to come along? He is the God who dreams great dreams for us. We're going to be stepping into communion in just a moment. This, um, the table of the Lord looks at our history scrubs it up, washes away the sin, looks at our present and affirms us, covenants with us. This is the the new covenant in my blood, Jesus says. And the Lord's table gives us a future. This is the God who comes along and says, I'm in the whole ballgame here. 
I'll take care of your past. You can't change a minute of it, but I can wipe away the junk. I'm going to affirm you in your present, in your now. I'm going to covenant with you in your now. And I'm going to give you a tomorrow like you've never dreamed of. I have a friend. In just a moment, we're going to be passing the elements to you, but I just want to share this one story. I have a friend who is 81 years old, 82 years old. He lives in Washington, D.C. He was brought up there. His name is George. I met George about 10 years ago when he was like 71 or 2. And he, he was this um, vibrant, well-dressed guy. And people keep saying, Did, do you know about George? Have you ever met George? I said, I've never met George. I said, you're going to like George. When George went to college in Maryland, after the first year, the dean called him in and said, I don't think you want to do this. It's not working out so well. So George went out and got into real estate. And in 1984, he, or sometime in the 1980s, he, he sold his franchises with Century 21 all, all through the mid-Atlantic mid states for somewhere up in the tens of millions of dollars. I mean, way up in the tens of millions of dollars. And along the way, he'd had some hard times, and along the way, somebody had led him to Jesus. And he made a deal with God. He said, when I sell this, I'm going to take a tithe of it, and I'm going to open up an account, and I'm going to help poor kids in Washington, D.C. He told me, I'll never forget the day I went to the bank, and I walked in, and here's a young man, Harvard graduate, MBA, got his Gucci shoes and his Armani suit. And I walk, and he says, so, welcome so-and-so, Mr. So-and-so, and he says, I'd like to open an account. He said, yes, sir, because he had other accounts. He said, uh, what name do you want on the account? He said, I want to call it God's account. And the young Harvard guy looked up and said, excuse me? He said, I'd like to call it God's account. He said, okay. He asked him a few more questions, and he said, I know this is personal, but what, do you mind me asking what you're going to use it for? He said, I want to help poor kids that don't have any shot at life in the inner city of Washington, D.C. So oh, it's great, great idea. But he was still a little befuddled, and finally he asked my friend George the question, well, this is God's account. Um, who's going to sign for it? <laughs> and George went on to help a group of young people from Washington, D.C. high schools go to college, and he called them his dream kids. He said, if you, if you get through high school, I'll pay for your college education. 38 kids did that. It was always great to be around George because he always had great dreams. He had good, good ideas. Always saying, you know, if it, isn't, if it wasn't for Jesus, I could never do this. But he's the God who dreams great dreams for us. Got an email this afternoon that this morning at 8.15, Washington time, George Kettle went home to Jesus, the great dreamer. There's something about dreaming the dream that has the capacity for taking others with you. It always keeps something in your step. It keeps the light in your eye. And when you dream it with somebody else, there's a quality of accountability that is so valuable and so rich that we can never get past it, never get around it, because it fuels 
who we are. I'd like for the ushers to come and just serve the elements to you tonight. We're going to have a little video, I believe, while the elements are being served. We'll come and partake of them, and then I'll come back, and we'll finish.